Welcome to Sloth Loves Chunk, a Goonies superfan podcast. I'm Ants. And I'm Matt. And we're your hosts for an adventure in search of amazing Goonies treasure. We're two superfans of the cherished 1985 classic film, The Goonies, and we're here to talk about all things related to the movie. From its quirky, iconic characters and hidden treasures, to the intense fandom it's spread around the world. On this podcast, we'll be sharing our own personal Goonies stories, interviewing cast and crew. Yeah, right. I'm sick of your bullshit stories, Chunk. And meeting other Goonies superfans. It's going to be amazing. More amazing than the time you get your weight at Godfather's Pizza? So if you think this will be more amazing than the time Michael Jackson came over to your house to use the bathroom? Go grab a treasure map. Tear open a baby Ruth. And get ready to play the bones. Because when we're done, your clothes are going to be out of style. Hey guys, and welcome back to episode three of Love Chunk. I'm Ants. I'm Matt. And this episode of Sloth Love Chunk, we are going to discuss the Goonies novelization mm-hmm. of the movie that came out same time as the movie did. It was by James Kahn, K-A-H-N. I was telling Matt before we started recording that I did not goog the guy. So I don't know if this was like the only thing he did or what. I would what not be surprised. I would not be surprised if this was the only book he did because it was, was pretty bad. Was he? I wonder now. Was he involved with the production at all, or was it? No, they probably just gave him a screenplay and told him to write the novelization. Mm. Yeah. But anyway, as mm. always, after the discussion, make sure to stick around. We're going to take the Goonies oath. Which, if you had read the book, you would find out that like Andy took the whole Goonies oath. In the Moss Garden Wishing Well, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they cut it. They cut out the Goonies Oath from the whole movie. I don't know if they ever actually did it or not. You know, I, well, you know, prior to reading this, I had no idea she was a hillsider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not a cauldron pointer? Nope. Yeah. Yeah, Matt. So what are your first impressions of the book? Uh, what I was really looking <laughs> What I was really looking for so honest when I when I picked up the book I thought well like how much how exciting is this going to be it's it's just a movie but my main goal in reading the in reading it was to find differences but I found myself sucked into it like <laughs> like it was the first time watching the movie I was just tearing through pages and it just happened upon the differences instead of looking at them for them See that's interesting cuz for me it was it was a bit of a slog huh and I think that was just the the style he took. So the book is written through Mikey's point of view. Mm-hmm. And he tries to keep that that narrator consistent through the whole thing. Except for like at the very beginning of the book, he does like what is it, like a newspaper article? Mm-hmm. Which basically like detailed the fertility escape and the chase. Mm-hmm. Since none of that's from Mikey's point of view. Like that's how no, he try to like yeah. that's how he tried to tackle that problem. But the rest of the book is told through Mikey's point of view. And I think it was him trying to capture like that 13 year old boy voice yeah. that made it <laughs> a little clunky. Yeah. A little clunky. And I got used to it. It sounded really dumbed down, but I got kind of used to it after a while. It was like, and then, and then, and then, and then I thought, and then I mm-hmm. thought, I mean, it got a little old, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's a really quick read, but I kept finding myself like when I would read something, I was like, what the heck? What? So then I would pull out my screenplay that I had and I would compare them. Mm-hmm. The screenplay I got, I sent you one, Matt. Oh, okay. It's okay. like it's probably the one that most people have or can mm-hmm. find. It's the it's like the fourth draft screenplay, which is October. It's dated October twelfth, nineteen eighty four. 
and it's already got a bunch of revisions and you can see because there's a lot of in the screenplay it'll have like shots that are like omitted it'll you know it'll even say like omit shots boom, boom, hmm. boom. so but when you're reading the book you could tell that the book has those omitted shots in there so he must have written this roten roten toten he must have wrote the book off of an earlier version of the screenplay because like there's a lot of passages in here that are not in the screenplay at all and it's interesting too cuz I mean, even the way the movie differs from the screenplay, you could tell they were probably like writing, doing rewrites, like on the fly, mm-hmm. or they were just, they were just changing things around. And what was the first big, like, difference that you noticed? Um, well, I mean, not so much difference, but the cool stuff to me is like you get a lot of backstory for characters that you know, like the Fratellis. It kind of says like what they were wanted for, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Jake was a convicted armed robber. Ma was a fugitive. They didn't really say for what. Yeah. Francis was sought like for, an arsonist. Yeah, he was like an arsonist, you know, <laughs> which I guess makes sense, right? Because he lit the front of the jail up on fire. Uh, yeah. you know? hmm. But I mean, it's it's kind of neat to have that fleshed out backstory. It was like, oh, yeah, well, that yeah. would make sense that like, he would be an arsonist, you know? What well, was cool right away, and I, it, it kind of hinted at the movie when uh, they happened upon that race, that rally race on the beach. Yeah. And then Ma Fratelli, of course, says, trust in your old mother, boys. It was fucking planned, which is cool, which the book yeah, huh. goes into. Yeah, like that was the plan. So That fucking dog again, I bro. Know. I don't, care. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> it's a goonie. Yeah. Yeah. So then you know, the book kind of gets deep, too, in um, socio commentaries with the country club, how they were saying the Chunks family was denied membership into the country club. Probably because they were because they were Jewish. Uh huh. You know, was like yeah. yeah. Was okay, so right away, speaking of that uh, that difference in economy, or the Goonies, the term Goonie is is explained in the first few pages. The apparently the what is it? The country club guys call them goons. Yeah, all those goons down there, and they kind of adopted it and made it their own. I also think it's a term that the country club dudes use. To describe basically everyone that lives in that area, not just mm-hmm. the kids. Mm-hmm. So. so for you, though, did that diminish the term Goonies or make it better? Mm. No, it didn't diminish it. It didn't make it better. It didn't make it worse. I was huh. like, oh, you know, they consider everybody from that area a Goonie. Yeah, yeah. it was. <laughs> and then we learned uh, we learned the first and last names of the characters that we didn't yeah. really. So again, it kind of like kind of flushes out some backstory. Or like, Ricky. I was surprised when they make stuff out to be like this big, like slut. I know. <laughs> right. What was, I wrote down notes while I was reading it, like for the, the mind blowing stuff is what I, how, I you know, but, like Steph's had her hands down all these guys' pants and there's yeah. all these like sexual innuendo jokes going on mm-hmm. through the whole book about Steph being a, a skank. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I guess like she was what she smoked. She got into fights. It was like, she's, yeah, she's one. She's one of the guys, but she's one of the guys because she's been with so many guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that was a surprise. The other thing that surprised me um, was that there's a grandpa Walsh living yeah, at he's, the Walsh yeah. house. He's in the screenplay also, huh? Where he's on the he's on a hammock in the backyard, and when they're running out of the house after they tie Brand up, you know, they're like, "Don't wake up, Grandpa! Don't wake up, Grandpa!" And then mouth 
you know, screws around and wakes him up on purpose. But yeah, mm-hmm. he's in the screenplay as well. So cut that. I wonder if they actually filmed that scene. That poor dude got cut from the Goonies. You know? Man, that would suck <laughs> so bad. What? Um, <laughs> Could you imagine filming a scene in the Goonies? This timeless movie, and then like they cut your scene. And yeah, and they no don't even put, ever see you. And you there's no special edition that's going to have it. <laughs> yeah. So that was the other one, and then um, you know they go into like mouth kind of something funny, and I don't think they could have worked it into the movie. Mouth rhymes a lot. Yeah, like the rap in mouth. Mm-hmm. Which did yeah. not work for me at all. No. <laughs> like everything it was a, li- a lame rhyme. Mm-hmm. Like, Ugh, thank God they didn't go that direction. Yeah. I mean, I mean, how old was he? I think Mouth is old. They even say how old. He's older. Yeah, he's the oldest one. Besides Bran. Yeah, but I mean, imagine your 16-year-old nephew coming over with a rap in his mind. It's going to sound <laughs> pretty annoying. Yeah. Yeah. And he's kind of, uh, do you get the impression? I kind of, when I, I was reading the book, I kept picturing Feldman's uh, character in Stand By Me, like mm-hmm. the abused kid <laughs> that came to mind right away. He's like, what is, you know, Clark's home life like that he's like that? His his dad is kind of a dick in the book. They're that first scene. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, and then who's Data? Ricky Wang? Richard. Richard Wang. Richard. Is that how they call him in the in the screenplay, Richard? Yeah, they call him Richard. Huh. They mention his name. Yeah. That's like okay. that's like that's kind of common knowledge, Richard Wang. Or like Lotney for Fertil- They don't call Sloth Lotney in the book, which I was surprised. Where did the name this are the names in the screenplay? I think so. <laughs> they rename Sloth at the very end of the book after he gets adopted. They do? Jean- well, I didn't I didn't make it all the way, so spoiler alert. Matthew. If you're going to do this podcast, bro, you got to be all in, man. You got to be all in. Yeah, they. Uh, he has a bar mitzvah, and they change his name to Jason Sloth Cohen. Really? At the end. Jason? I know. I, whatever. Just rando name. Um, what else were the little differences? I think stuff that like I was super excited and kind of really changed the way I view some scenes. Like I was like, holy shit, this is what it's actually going on was when they were in the lighthouse lounge mm-hmm. and it's Jake comes out. The boys are in there and, you know, Ma, Ma kind of is like, you know, what are you boys doing? And Jake right. comes out from like the kitchen. He's wearing. Oh, yeah. He's wearing like the apron and the gloves and stuff. And he's, so he's like, how am I supposed to create with the that? Smithsonian, yeah. Right. And I, I always thought that he was cooking, that he was mm-hmm. like cooking sloths food. Huh. That, that he takes down to him later, right? That he's throwing yeah. his face and stuff. I thought that's what he was doing. He was either cooking or he was like torturing the FBI guys. Is uh-huh. what I thought he was doing. But when you read the book, he says, like, how am I supposed to create with that Smithsonian piece of shit? He was actually he was actually working on the counterfeit machine. Yeah, the printing press. Mm-hmm. The printing press. Did you know that? Uh, you got it wrong, actually. It was Francis that came up and said that. That's the other thing I noted. Jake well, in the- wears glasses in the book. And he's cooks fish stew. Well, in the book, it's it's Francis that says, I can't create with that Smithsonian piece mm-hmm. of shit, right? Yeah. They just switched the characters, though. Mm-hmm. But even then, I was like, oh, that's what he was doing. That's yeah. what the whole getup is. You know, I, I had thought, no idea he was working on the printing press. I thought he was referring to Sloth when he said that. Like, he's trying to feed him and, and Sloth's not taking it or... Yeah. I had no idea it was for the counterfeiting huh. machine. You know, I was like, "Oh, dang, dude, that would totally make sense!" Yeah. Oh my god, not really yeah. added to the movie for me. 
I think Chunk eating that um, fish surprise is what added it to me. Oh, you know, it, yeah. it added another layer of Chunk's character, showing that you know he's a he's a grateful person, <laughs> and he'll you know eat what's good. <laughs> yeah, Bob. Mom makes it's Jake, right? Makes Jake make the fish. What do they call it fish surprise? Yeah, it's fish. So they bring it out. And he eats guts. it, but then he just ends up throwing it up. That scene too, though, in this book, you can tell where they edited a lot out in the movie to make it flow better. Mm-hmm. Which they did a great job editing the movie. Once you like read the screenplay or like read this book, and you can see how like it really could have each mm-hmm. scene kind of like it's dragged out a bit unnecessarily, to where they really cut out a lot of the fat you know and made it yeah and i think maybe that's what makes the movie good too because the movie really moves you know mm-hmm. there were sections in this book where it just like was a slog and it seemed well, like it seemed to kind of be a little repetitive what was the scene oh my god that, the worst uh, scene of all in the book that like i was just like why is this <laughs> in here was when they were on the raft you probably didn't get to the scene did you let's <laughs> pretend like i did <laughs> where when was it they go through the like the skull rock head mm-hmm. thing, right? And first, there's a whole one-eyed willy challenge to like which hole are you going to take, which is the right hole to take. Uh huh. You have to choose the right like skull hole. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. Which is like there's a skeleton out in front of the rock, holding like a sword, pointing at hole number two or whatever. Oh. And they're on a, a on the water on a raft. Yeah, I gotta back up because it's like like this is one of the scenes where like it'll it would really just drag out. So you know before that scene, Mikey starts thinking about a story where his parents were on. Um, I don't know. Some they don't mention it, but what was that old game show where they had to pick a door? Uh, let's make a deal. Let's make a. They were basically on. Let's make a deal. Mm-hmm. Mikey's parents, right? And like they wanted, they went out there to try to make money because they're always poor. And mm-hmm. Mr. Walsh had to pick a door. I guess his favorite number is like two or something. And he oh, always he always picks that number, but at that one moment he like second guessed his guts and he <laughs> picked a different door and he won like a thousand toothpicks. Uh-huh. You know? So then they get to the you gotta pick a door basically with the skull rock. Like he's like, and oh, then I, it makes Mikey you know, you know, I gotta follow my gut. And so you know, he picks the right one. So they go through the skull rock and they end up basically like they're in a huge cavern. And the way it's described is a miles long cavern. You can't see the end of it. It's just pure black. There's fog everywhere. And there's rafts, mm-hmm. little wooden rafts everywhere. So they all get on a raft and they're just floating. They're just mm. floating in the water with no light, nothing. They're just floating there forever. <laughs> and, and, it, like, what? and I was thinking, I was like, is this supposed to be the water slide scene? They just cut this raft scene out and replace it with the water slide. But the uh-huh. water slide scene is still in it too. So they're just sitting on the It seems is like it hours. Like- is it character building though in the in between? Kind, kind of. So then it kind of they go to each character. They don't go to all of them. It's sort of you know what are your fears or mm-hmm. what is this? And then Mouth does a whole like five page retelling of the monkey paw story, huh. where you know, yeah, it's cursed and you get what you yeah ask you get for. so many wishes and like you know mm-hmm. and it was the whole monkey paw story. <laughs> <laughs> I was like they're not like they're not going to retell this whole story. And yeah, sure enough, they did. You know. And they're just floating in this raft, and then the Fratellis end up on a raft too. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they almost bump into them, but the Fratellis don't see them because the fog is thick. And oh, it was rough. <laughs> and then they just end up on a shore, like another shore somewhere. And then uh-huh. they go through some more tunnels of thirty-minute walking, and then they get to like the water slide. Thing. And did that translate to the script? No, but that's, that wasn't in the screenplay. Oh. Thank God. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, because I, I mean, well, it's a topic probably for another cast, but, you know, there was all these, um, a lot of crazy shit that didn't make it, you know, like the monkeys and the, yeah, and all that the kind gorillas. of stuff. Yeah, the gorillas aren't in the book at all. I was surprised. But then it's also, how do you put them in? Because none of the monkey hijinks happens with the goonies around kind of chunk. Oh, I get it. A little yeah. bit of chunk, you know, mm-hmm. and there, there's a little, there's a clunky part of the book where they basically have to tell what happened to chunk. Right. But it's out mm-hmm. of Mikey's point of view. Oh. So then it turns into, there's a whole chapter where it's like, well, let me tell you what happened to chunk at this time. This is what he told me. Chunk told me this and chunk told me that. And it's, it's mm-hmm. basically the whole, how he met sloth, how we got, oh. you know, Caught by the right, yeah, that side road. story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, Ugh. it's. I mean, I guess it's effective, but, but yeah. So there's a lot of the movie where mm-hmm. events are happening outside of Mikey's POV, mm-hmm. so it's not in the book because you can't really put it in there. Oh right. So do you not get the? I mean, from the movie, Chunk and and Sloth have their own adventures, right? They go through the pipes behind the the gang, and they. Yeah, well, they. I mean, they put all that in the book as chunk retells it to mikey mm-hmm. and it's really interesting they have sloth is like this zen mass where he just like sits down and starts like meditating at one point hmm. right outside the moss garden wishing well there's this they show where chunk and sloth are actually watching the fratellis go through the moss garden wishing well and they try oh. to kind of stay in the shadows mm-hmm. and stay out and sloth's just like sitting there cross-legged home like meditating <laughs> really weird yeah that would not have <laughs> fit his like, character wow, this this is a pretty deep guy huh I, I underestimated this guy yeah now that that's a good segue to what i wanted to bring up next what i what i liked with the uh, inner monologue with mikey how was how uh complimentary he was of his fellow goonies you know um except for his brother well yeah he's got <laughs> He's he always shit talking his brother. Yeah, he's like, shit talking his. He gets a little uber competitive with Brand too when it comes to Andy. Really, he's basically trying to steal Andy away from him. I did even notice, at the end, yeah. even at the end of the, oh my god, did you get to the kiss and Andy scene? No, oh dude, I gotta read it. I gotta read it. <laughs> okay, it got it like it got like horny. Uh-huh. I'm gonna read this shit like verbatim. Okay. So this is gonna be good. But before before you get to the negative, let's let's. Take a moment to, yeah, you know, he he, uh, he compliments what he says. Chunk's like a good around, all-around guy, and he feels shitty about the travel shuffle. And then he talks about Data and how he's super smart, which is kind of cool, you know, especially kids complimenting each other like that. It'd be kind of weird for 16-year-old to tell his buddy he thinks he's smart. Yeah, but he is still mean to Chunk, even after he kind of purposefully has him break the, the oh, yeah with the map in there. <laughs> He's like, oh, true. man, you're such a klutz. And I was like, did you want him to? But he kind of yells at yeah, him. Yeah, that's true. He wasn't playing around. I mean, he shows a little regret. But anywho, let's get right, to this. The- is, this is like my favorite passage from the entire book. This okay. is Mikey describing kissing Andy in the dark cavern. This is hilarious. It's the last take a drink. <laughs> okay, here we go. Andy stuck her tongue into my mouth and sort of licked around in there. It was pretty weird, but I liked it. I mean... I don't think I'd ever had anything in my mouth that felt anything like her tongue. Even my tongue didn't feel like that. Then I realized everything was going on in my mouth. So I stuck my tongue into her mouth and sort of slid it around her tongue 
and she started making these little whimpery kinds of noises. My hand was still on her breast, and I pressed down a little harder, but I didn't move it around much. I was afraid she might get mad and make me stop or tell Brand, and then he'd make me sorry. She didn't seem to mind me just pressing down, though, so I did it with my other hand on her other breast, too. <laughs> and for just a few seconds there, I forgot about One-Eyed Willie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Lord. I'm like, I'm sure you did forget about your One-Eyed Willie, but Switch One-Eyed Willies. I'm like, what the hell, you know? Dude. So he got to second little, base with Andy? Little softcore, little softcore soft there. Oh, wow. <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> My goodness. So does, what is it like when, so now that we know he touched her some boob. Her boobage. Some boobage. What was her reaction later when she realized it wasn't him? They don't ever. Really? Never, yeah. She never, even like on the beach, she never realizes it was him. Like Steph keeps huh. a secret. There's another scene so, towards the end of the book where he's leading Andy like through a tunnel. And what's really interesting in the book too, and you don't see it in the movie, is light is a very big problem in the book. They're always in darkness because they either, hmm. they're using flares that they found from Chester Copperpot, or they had mm-hmm. like a lantern, but then they lose it. So they're mm-hmm. always like in pitch black darkness, kind of claustrophobic feeling. Yeah. And so a lot of times Mikey's with Andy either like holding her hand or doing things like that, but she thinks it's brand. And so this is when like, oh. Mikey gets a little competitive with brand, you know, cause he's kind of like, uh-huh. Oh, she'll, she'll learn that it's being sneaky. And, yeah. You know, and I was, I was oh, the tough guy. Gosh. So in Andy's mind, in the Goonie universe, how old Andy's in her fifties. Right. No, just go with me here in the Goonies universe. Andy still thinks that her first kiss with brand. Yeah. Was with yeah. Brand, so yeah, they never they never like address it, <laughs> like they do in the movie at the end. So she was telling her grandkids, like, "Oh yeah, your your grandpa felt my titties in the in the wishing well." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm actually want to jump to that spot. It's page ninety nine. Okay, you're just gonna oh, read it over and over all night, aren't you? I was on page ninety. That stinks. Um, the little changes that I thought was kind of cool. Data gave the map speech. Like the he disregarded the map, yeah. In the in the attic, yeah. In the attic, when in the movie where it's Brand is saying, you know, oh, Dad will say anything, get you or whatever. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, everybody, everybody and their parents weren't looking for grandparents weren't looking for that when our parents were our age. It's Data says it. Data's like the yeah. Data's like the naysayer. He's like the logical naysayer mm-hmm. in the book and in the screenplay as well. But I thought that was a good. That's an effective switch that they did mm-hmm. in the movie. Like, no, nah, I mean, data yeah. would be like that. It would be right, brands. because he's, a, yeah, he's one of the young Goonies. I'm glad that they made this change in the movie. Mikey gives some of his famous speech at the stop and snack, right? He gives some of his, don't you guys see, don't you realize? The next time you take a mm-hmm. test. Did he do any more? I didn't get to it. Did he do some of it with the bucket? Um, He does. He does, he does the other half or he does he does the whole speech with the bucket because they're getting ready to go up. And then that's when Andy decides, like, I'm gonna stay. And they actually yeah. they actually administer the Goonies oath okay. to Andy. So I didn't get there, so paint me a word picture. Mikey gives a speech uh-huh. and they're gonna go up the bucket. What's the do they does she take it down in the well? Wait, let me see. Let me look that up. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because right now I'm looking at he's giving the whole speech. Next time you take a test, it'll be another school. And then right after he does that, mm-hmm. right after he says that, you know, it's our time down here, he does the 
my mom and dad at let's make a deal game show speech. He goes, there's a couple of years ago, my mom and dad were on that big game show. Remember brand? And it's basically like about making the right choices. Oh, and then they're all staring at me waiting. And then Troy suddenly shouts down from the top. Andy, you coming mm-hmm. or not? And then while he's telling that Troy shouts down again, you know, Andy, do you want to stay down there with the Goonies? Are you coming mm-hmm. up here where you belong? I don't have all night. Oh boy. And everyone's looking at Andy. What an asshole. And then, yeah, without a second of hesitation, she picks up three large rocks and puts them in the bucket. Then she takes off Troy's letter sweater and piled that on top. And then she tugs mm-hmm. on the rope three times. He pulls it up. All you hear is Troy's Mustang peeling out because he's upset. And then oh. automatically it says, we heard Troy swear and roar off in his Mustang as I had Andy raise her right hand and repeat after me. Let's do the Goonies Oath. Oh, my God. I will never betray my Goondock friends. We will stick together yeah. until the whole world, world ends. ends through heaven and hell and, hell and, and nuclear, nuclear war. war. Good pals, Good pals like, us. like us will stick like tar. In the city, or the country, or the forest, or the the boonies, I am proudly declared a fellow goonie. And then they go, leech! (laughs) Because in the witching well, they get covered with leeches. There's this whole thing where they get covered with leeches. Really? Yeah. And then Data's got to use one of his contraptions to like basically electrify the water. Mm-hmm. That kills the leeches and they fall off. I'm glad they left that. That yeah. yeah. Come on. Even when the Fatellis are in the wishing well, they get covered in leeches, and Chunk and Sloth watch them, but they get basically like cigarettes, mm-hmm. burning the leeches off. That's very stand by me. I don't. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh-uh. You know it is, huh? Yeah. I didn't think about that. Huh. Good thing they left that sucker out of there. So Ugh. another thing that's crazy to me mm-hmm. is that. Mikey's attic speech where he's talking about the history of Astoria and one-eyed Willie in the adventures of the Inferno. Mm-hmm. That speech was actually Francis's speech. Say what? Yeah, dude. So when they got chunk in the lighthouse lounge and they're getting ready to like uh-huh. blender his hand and stuff. Right. Uh-huh. And they find the doubloon on chunk and they pull it up. And Francis is apparently some like ancient coin <laughs> expert all of a sudden. <laughs> So he he recognizes it. And this is when we learned One-Eyed Willie's real name. Oh, my God. Are you ready for this? Yes. He goes, you see this here, Mark, Ma? This here is the mark of William P. Portabelle, better known as One-Eyed Willie. Whoa. And she's like, whoa. Jake's like, I've heard of him. And then he goes, One-Eyed Willie was one of the most ingenious pirates of the 17th century. The guy started out as a court gesture. Jester. Chester? But was banished from but was <laughs> banished from five Spanish courts because of his off-color stories and practical jokes. You would have liked him, Ma, says Jake. And they all huh. laugh. Francis keeps talking though. So Willie formed this pirate band. They set sail on a ship named the Inferno. Willie and his men marauded hundreds of the king's ships. They amassed a fortune, a treasure worth millions. Then, legend has it, three of the king's ships chased him farther and farther north until he got all the way up around this area. And while being attacked, Willie steered his ship into a huge, hidden underground cavern, which the Navy ship sealed with cannon fire. Willie and the survivors spent the next couple of years hiding out, repairing the Inferno. They explored all the natural catacombs and dug new tunnels and loaded them all with booby traps to protect the treasure and prevent attack. One of his men must have escaped to tell the story. And that story has been passed down generations to generations over 300 years. That's totally Mikey's attic. Yeah. That attic speech. But it's Francis telling it i was like what wow 
good old friend. So it does and that, that makes sense too because the story I was telling you, I don't know, was last episode where Sean Aston said that Richard Donner pulled him aside before the attic speech, and he basically mm-hmm. told him right. And I was just thinking, like, well, would this just be in his lines? But mm-hmm. it wasn't. It was really Francis's lines. So Sean Aston probably didn't, you know, memorize the speech ahead of time because it wasn't yeah. his lines. It was somebody else's lines. So then he tells him that story, tells him go inside and recite it. Oh, that's where it came I from. see. That's good. And William so, P. Portabelle. What the heck, dude? I know. That's not a very strong name. It's, yeah, you don't want to sound like a mushroom <laughs> when you're trying to instill fear. <laughs> but yeah. when you were telling me right away, I got the idea that they're trying to make One-Eyed Willie sound like a goonie. Oh, is, is that what they're going for with his pranks and his jokes? Yeah, they make they. Mr. James Kahn tries really hard to create this connection, almost like spiritual, weird reincarnation connection between mm. Mikey and One-Eyed Willie. He, he thinks like, maybe Willie's inside me. Maybe Willie's mm-hmm. guiding me. And everything is like, they're almost exactly the same. When they get to the, the treasure room, mm-hmm. One-Eyed Willie has this like old school asthma inhaler thing. <laughs> Right. Whoa, they go that far. It gets worse. It gets worse. Oh boy. (laughs) And then he has a letter, which is basically his like his last will and testament, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know, he he explains mouth is translating it, but it's kind of clunky because they leave spaces out because mouth either can't translate the words or it's just unreadable because it's so old. Uh Uh-huh. But he tells how they got stuck down there. And for a while they were having good times, but then the men, even though they were they had so much riches, they became greedy and started killing each other. Hmm. So then he started he started disciplining the men, like he chopped off three guys' heads and that put them in line for a while. And then he had to eat the heart. He ate the heart of some other guy. And huh. that, that kept the men in line. But at the end, it was just him and the guys around the table. Like everyone on the ship had basically killed themselves or killed uh-huh. each other. When I watched the movie, yeah. I always assumed that Willie had ordered everyone to be killed. That's what I assumed. But the book states that they had basically killed each other out of greed. Mm-hmm. And so at the end, it was just Willie and his lieutenants in that mm-hmm. throne room. And even then, once they were together, they started killing each other out of greed. And Willie was the last one. So he was actually down there for years by himself, even huh. after everyone was dead. And he prays to God saying, give me, you know, he was just lonely. Give me men. To come and dear, you know, if God, if you give me men to hang out with, I'll give half of my treasure to the church and no one comes. Then he curses God. Oh, wow. At the end, he just, he gets, you know, very angry because he's just been forgotten. But then he, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy where the end of the letter, he says, um, you know, one day the boy will find me and this will be his. Oh, boy. And it's dated. (laughs) The date. That he likes sign that what I really signs off on it is mm-hmm. um, like an anniversary of when they find it's him. October twenty fifth, sixteen eighty four, and in the in the book, the Goonies adventure starts October twenty fourth. Yeah, technically the day that Mikey finds when I really is exactly three hundred mm-hmm. years to the day that he wrote it. Yeah, I'm very glad they left that out because that's one thing I noticed too. Um, and I guess now that you mention it, it gets it gets worse because. At the beginning, Mikey says, oh, it's that old October wind. Mm-hmm. And it's that kind of signifies his uh, connection with Willie, I guess, because like you said, it guides him. 
because mm-hmm. he thinks, oh, well, oh, I feel something here. Like I should be here. And then he mentions when they go up to the attic, oh, you know, these clothes, someone else wore these and they were right here. Yeah. He like, and he thinks that these are actually the clothes that they wore. Even when he's on the raft, he starts kind of going in and out. He's of sleep. He's falling asleep, uh-huh. having this weird dream where it's like him, this half awake dream, like a lucid dream where it's him and Willie are the same person. And mm. then that's when the raft kind of starts, instead of just floating around, actually starts moving. So mm-hmm. he thinks, he thinks it's him like making that mental connection with huh. Willie's spirit that is actually propelling the raft. And he tries to stay in this in-between state of awake and asleep to not lose that vibe. <laughs> <laughs> Where would that have come from? What would that makes me think right away? What movies where would they get the idea like, hey, this, you know, this this is jiving right now? Was that an influence of Richard Donner's previous work? Or was it like why would they have gotten this weird ESP connection? Well, they cut it out. I mean, yeah, so why would Spielberg he is the one that actually like had the story idea and then Columbus wrote the screenplay? They, yeah, I wonder where Columbus would have yeah. gotten the idea. Like, let's throw this it's shit not in, in the screenplay. Where- so I don't know if it was on an earlier draft or if this is just the author doing his own thing here. Makes you wonder how much like license because you know I posed the question earlier if he was involved with the production. Makes me wonder how much in the screenplay the old the weird old school pirate inhaler is actually in the screenplay. I went back hmm. and tried to like go frame by frame in the trophy room, <laughs> treasure room scene, <laughs> looking to see if mm-hmm. they had made that prop. And I couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. Maybe, but it's a little, it's a little heavy-handed, you know. Oh yeah, he's it's got an inhaler much. too. And then it's like, the yeah, exact that's a bit dates. on the nose. And his teeth are all shiny when they show him because he wore ancient braces, and he had an older brother that picked on him. <laughs> yeah, and, he, and that's why he, he left Spain. And he squeezed, yeah. but not too I still hard. Can't get over that. <laughs> but he. I mean, and he kind of got, you know, not verbal consent, but he noticed that she was. She's a groomer. <laughs> yeah, that makes. I'm going to rewatch that scene <laughs> when we're done here. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, the book, I'm trying to think of what's they had the octopus. It wasn't an octopus, though. It was a squid. Right. Yeah. I did. They handle it the same way as in the deleted scene. You know, Data puts his headphones on it. Only it's like a talking head song. One of the worst lines of the movie. (laughs) I think it's the worst. And it was in the book. And I still felt it was still so shitty. Was uh, in the book. The book also includes the cut scene. If you've seen the movie's specials. um, When they go to the stop and snack. And uh, Bran eventually catches up with him and intimidates Troy to go away. <laughs> he tells them, uh, you guys are history. We don't need friends oh, like yeah. you. And I thought that was the lamest, like such a weird. Well, the actor just delivered the line. It was a bad delivery. It was so bad. Yeah. <laughs> Oscar winner. You're going to look back on his history and like, no, I don't want to. Yeah include that because it's like they it already so basically escaped from brand in the house and then they go to the the quick stop and then they got to escape from brand yeah. again you know i'm like eh, right it's just redundant i mean i could see i you know a bunch of kids are gonna if i was their age one of the fun things to do would be to get your supplies you know like supply up yeah you know as a 13, 16 year old you're gonna get shit that basically scene does 
actually ad- address some plot holes or cutting out that scene creates plot holes. Because remember, I was telling you probably episode one of Sloth Love Chunk listeners go back and uh-huh. listen where I was saying, like, how do they even know? Like, how does Mike even know where he's going? You know, he's just riding his bike and all of a sudden yeah. he ends up on the like, Hey, guys, it mm-hmm. lines up. But they're just riding their bikes around randomly. Yeah. So that scene actually shows Mikey finding a map of Astoria. And then he goes and he right. lines up the treasure map with the Astoria map side by side. And then mm-hmm. that's where he lines up like the X's and stuff. So he has an idea of where to go. What's interesting too, yeah. is if you look at the cutscene, um, I think most people, when they look at the Goonies map, they hold it horizontally. But when he's, uh-huh. when he's looking at the map, like lining it up, the Astoria or the Oregon coastline, it's actually vertical. So Mikey's whole, he lines it up vertically. Oh, so I didn't catch yeah. that. Yeah. I, yeah. Huh. It's pretty neat. You know, it's like, oh, dang. Like when yeah. I think when you're trying to look at the map, you're like, where's the coastline at? But you have to turn it to be vertical. So that's where he lines it up. And so and he, oh, and he then, matches up the X's from the map with like some bays. And that's how they know where to go in the direction of like lighthouse lounge. So that was interesting. Well, did you, um, if anybody listening owns a replica of the map, you'll notice that there's holes in the map. And in the book was, I don't know if you can verify it's in the screenplay, but in the book, uh, part of the key is folding the yeah, map. Like an old mad. To resemble the shape. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like old mad magazines. What do they call those? Those fold-ins? If they had a certain name. I don't know, but yeah, that's another cool layer to the map that it folds up and you lined it up with a doubloon. But they also try to make that another connection between Mikey and Willie because the beginning of the book. Oh. It's, I think it's even the movie too. Mikey's messing with the Mad Magazine and he's doing the fold-ins, right? And then later he was he's oh, like, shit. oh, you know, Willie loves fold-ins just like me. You know, he made those because I, oh, because I love God. fold-ins. There, there is a weird... They Why? Make it, you really do get a weird like reincarnation vibe. He even says the word in there somewhere. Boy. It would have been better instead of like one I Willie. You mean like instead of his name being William P. Portabell, it would have been like William P. Walshabell. Amalgamation of yeah. Walsh and yeah. Wow, that's not good. One eyed Willie. How do you go from what's his name again? William, I don't want to memorize William it. William B. Portabell. I wonder what the B stands for. Brand? Brendan? Booty. Booty. He has a lot. Booby oh, bo- yeah, bo- booty. Booby. Either one. And they do include, I'm happy to say in the book, <laughs> uh, Mikey's mispronunciation of words. Yeah. They had a couple cool um, chunk stories too, like bullshit stories. Oh yeah, where he tells a story about how he had to like fight off wolves one time by himself, or he discovered two cat burglars broke into his house, and he like mm-hmm. fought the cat burglars off. <laughs> oh. More bullshit stories. What's really interesting about this book, and I don't mm-hmm. know if you need to have as much closure as I give you in this book, but in the mm-hmm. epilogue, they basically say how. Mr. Walsh buys the Astoria Country Club and mm. then they raise it. They bulldoze it, which is like, <laughs> no, yeah. shit. that's a bit much. Yeah, It's like they turn the tables on them. They, they bulldoze yeah. the country club and they're going to build <laughs> so stupid. Is this like this? It's presented like, yeah, these articles, are like newspaper right? headlines mm-hmm. for the afterward. And it says the Hillside Country Club was purchased for an undisclosed ca- undisclosed cash amount by a group calling itself the Friends of the Goondocks. Mr. Walsh is the chairman of the group, right? And he says, um, 
possibilities after they raise it include plans for a new historical museum, a children's center, a fish market, that's for Steph, a plumbing supply mm-hmm. house, mouth, a Chinese restaurant. Like that's what data gets, a Chinese restaurant. But oh, yeah. and then a public access invention laboratory. So he does get that too, you know. Mm-hmm. But I was like, man, that's pretty that's pretty hardcore. It's, it's harsh, Mr. Walsh. Uh, I think when you mentioned that, I didn't get through the full book, but the author does make it a point to mention Data's Chinese heritage a couple times. Does that continue throughout the book? No, no, because he, you know, he mentions little things like, oh, he comes from ancient, you know, Chinese heritage, so he's always ready, or he's it's something. No, like he's quick-minded, no, or they don't bring it up again. Data really is just the funny invention guy. He has a lot more instances mm-hmm. where he's trying to use inventions, but they all fail. None of them work. Like slick shoes work. The slick shoes is in there. It works, mm-hmm. but he has some other ones. Like when the Fratellis find them in the treasure room, he tries to do, and they all just go haywire and you know, nothing works. So oh, he yeah. seems a little more inept in the book, like in the movie. One thing. And I always like was his uh, pinchers of peril. I'm sure there's always, what was the debate? For you, when you heard Pinchers of Peril, was it Pinchers of Power or was it always Pinchers of Peril? I think it was Pinchers of Power for me when I was a little kid. But I learned it was Pinchers of yeah. Peril pretty quick. So mm-hmm. I didn't have like 20 years of thinking it was power forever. <laughs> like probably like you. I, yeah, I know. Just I've seen debates here Or like when I blew your oh, mind um, when we were talking about the scene with Sloth. When they're feeding him and he's begging, and he goes, "Oh yeah, he goes, food, please." And you yeah. had no idea. He, That's not that in he the was book. begging for food. No, I thought he said "vud v," like he was speaking <laughs> Italian, food, like Jake. Please. And that makes it super sad. Yeah. And that in the book, Mikey describes him as being pitiful and feeling sorry for him. So that's nice too. Yeah, well, he's a caged animal essentially. He has a little more freedom though. In the book, like he's able to crawl on uh-huh. the ground. He's like eating his food, the scraps off of the ground on his hands and knees and stuff, which kind of makes it sadder if you think about it. So now that we mentioned that, is there, you read the whole thing, is there anything you would see as problematic with the book in the lens of today? Well, I mean, there's a lot of fat jokes. You can't make fat jokes no more. It, uh-huh. <laughs> I think that, you know, I think describing grabbing teenage girls breasts is probably problematic mm-hmm. since he was 16 he's, how old 13. is oh he's 13 yeah. steph is oh. probably like 16 or something. okay oh yeah that's not yeah. good well, yeah, it's kind of problematic <laughs> oh boy um i was surprised that they didn't use like they didn't use any insensitive terms towards sloth considering the time i thought they mm-hmm. would have called him like retarded or something like right. that you know trigger yeah. warning <laughs> well, no, but in their description, it, it would have been a word they would have used. Yeah, but they didn't, you know? which was cool. No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. No, nothing really came up. Even with like Rosalita at the beginning, you know, there was potential there. But yeah, they treat they treat her pretty no. good. They don't treat her as like a dumb a dumb yeah. Mexican. <laughs> right. right? Yeah, they don't. <laughs> yeah, I I kind of like that though. The way they treat each character, it's not really. I mean, there's like, you know, Chunk's not, well, is he just eating all the time though? But they explain when he gets nervous. Yeah. Same thing with mouth in the book. When he gets nervous, he's got to start rapping. 
<laughs> so they don't what you know they don't make chunk like you know just a bumbling idiot though yeah, right value yeah. but he's really not in the book terribly much because it's being told through mikey's pov there's just that one chapter where chunk is right. basically telling his his short little adventure with sloth i mean he does show up at the end there but he doesn't swoop in with sloth either how he rides his back down the mast he climbs mm-hmm. over the edge sloth does sloth sloth is like a pie but then chunk like climbs over the edge uh-huh. sneaky style and like it's and does he say the famous hey, uh, guy? No. 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 Are you no. kidding? No. He doesn't. Mm-mm. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Now this I'm going to tell you good. something else in the, the, the epilogue of the book that might blow your mind even more. Right? And I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if this was intended originally or if this is, again, just the author taking license. So the two FBI agent guys, right, that are killed mm-hmm. by the Fratellis. Now, listen to this. This is one of the newspaper headlines. After it's October 28th, it's a couple of days afterwards. It says that Jake is going to get returned to state prison, but he's trying to make a plea deal with you know prosecutors. And it says Jake has apparently agreed to cooperate with the state, give them evidence on a drug ring whose members have been posing as FBI agents and other law enforcement officials in order to confiscate large quantities of narcotics from local dealers. So were those two FBI guys actually drug dealers? That's what the book makes you believe. Huh. The book makes you believe that the two the two dudes they shot were drug dealers posing yeah. as FBI agents, mm-hmm. basically trying to like get the Fratelli stash or something like that. Or maybe it's it just make, a lie. Yeah. Maybe it's just a lie. No, well, let, let's think about it. It makes sense, right? Uh, a law enforcement agency, and you've located these dangerous gang of you know criminals. You're not going to go in there with a couple of polyester suit FBI guys. You're going to send in like, you know, street level dudes with sirens and yelling and microphones. Yeah. I know. And it's also interesting. So it makes like, sense. They don't ever mention those dudes again, either in the movie. You think at the end, it would be like, those are the Vertellis. They killed the FBI guys. They don't ever yeah. mention them. Like, you right. think that'd be a pretty big deal, man. You kill two FBI dudes. So I was like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Like, were those just wow. drug dealers posing as FBI agents? You'll never, you'll never and see the gives, movie the same way makes, again, will you? No, and that gives a funny, that makes that one line by Data even funnier when he says, did you see those polyester, those JC Penny yeah. polyester rags? Yeah. No, he says, he says drug dealers would never be caught in those polyester rags. Right. Maybe they were. Crooked FBI agents, dude. Wow. So I wonder where from book... It goes screenplay book, yeah. right? Okay, never mind. I was going to go on a track there. Yeah, but. you can tell that he didn't write any of this based off of like what was filmed because people have different dialogue. Dialogue's been switched between characters. I just don't yeah. know which version, which screenplay version he had. Because I think the one, the screenplay version I have, which is, what did I tell you, version four, fourth draft, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of it's in there, but a lot of it's cut. Um, when Francis gives the, the one I really speech, it's actually, you can mm-hmm. see it in the screenplay. It says like omitted, you know, it'll be like oh. shots, like 103 through 107 omitted. So they cut it out. They moved it around. Mm-hmm. So it had to be an earlier version. Huh. Yeah. I wonder how, how, you know, people that have to write these novelizations, like just how much information they're given, but they have to go and right. just how much freedom really they have to go on it. But it was fun. It was fun. Huh. It was fun. It's, it's neat. This book was good to really flesh out the backstory just make that mm-hmm. world of the Goonies and Astoria like a little more real. I like I like the um, 
it kind of gives more weight to being in Astoria. I think from reading, you know, the way they add more mysticism or even make it seem humdrum and how exciting, more exciting the adventure is. I just like learning more about Astoria. Yeah. yeah you know what I mean? It kind of, it just makes it feel better. Uh, well, just real quick before you wrap up of the three book screenplay movie. Oh, come on. You think the movie was the, like the best, bro? The best treatment? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Just, had to, just had to see. I mean, okay. The screenplay still got the gorillas, man. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God we didn't leave the gorillas in. I can't wait to read that. Or there's, I mean, in the screenplay, there's a scene where um, when Sloth and Chunk are beneath the country club and they're messing with the pipes, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know if they're by the country club or by like a zoo, but like one of the, like in, in the book, as well as the screenplay, Sloth is just like eating food. He's eating like a frozen T-bone steak, just taking bites out of frozen T-bone steak, mm-hmm. whole frozen turkey legs that he finds in the freezer where Chunk was, right? Huh. And he has this uh-huh. frozen turkey leg in his hand. And one of the gorillas like reaches down through the ground <laughs> and grabs the turkey leg oh, from my Sloth. Lord. And there's this struggle where they go uh-huh. back and forth fighting over the turkey leg. <laughs> Like with a, I can just picture a slide whistle as the turkey leg goes. It's like so they're they're like like, what a foot from the surface, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So stupid. (laughs) Shit like that would have completely ruined the movie. I can't believe they even tried it. I don't know if they filmed that scene. I mean, there's there's still shots of out there of the gorillas driving (laughs) Troy's Mustang. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so it was fun, man. Yeah. It was fun. You got to finish it up, Matthew. I will. And, um, where's the the Goonie? Um, where's the Goonie? We did it already. We did it. We did it with Andy. I know, but well, whatever. Edit. People are gonna listen. They're gonna listen. They're gonna do it. We did it when Andy took it. Shit, yeah. Yo. All right. We did it. I'm gonna jerk jerk it later to that. I'm not gonna think about that scene. Oh, yeah, dude. It's gonna be all. Dude, <laughs> really? <laughs> I was reading it. And I was like, "Oh my god, man! Like this guy's getting into it. Like does this guy, like what a weird like it's it's really into it. He could have just left it at oh I, I you know grazed your boob and oh my god he was giving but no. he was giving pretty detailed foreplay instructions there. <laughs> wow, that's fucked up. All right, we got to figure out what next episode is going to be. Let's not do the screenplay or anything because we just did this one. It'll be pretty close. okay. Uh, I don't know. We'll figure it out. I love we just yeah. figure it out. All right. All right. Okay, guys. Thanks again for joining us here on uh, Sloth Love Chunk. We will see you guys soon. 